Hey, welcome back with your host, ex-Google, ex-Facebook, multi-millionaire tech lead. Never gets old, does it? And today I wanted to talk about 10 things that coding has taught me about life. Because I've been coding since, what, elementary school? And by this point, coding has distorted my view of the world in such a way that I believe that the lessons I've learned can be maybe meaningful to you. You know, you learn so many design principles and philosophies that turn out to be optimally efficient for the digital world. And hey, there's no reason that these lessons cannot be applied to the actual real physical world as well in order to improve your lifestyle, your perspectives, the way you manage your own life. And so today I wanted to talk about the 10 coding design principles that can possibly improve and change your life to make it more optimal, more time efficient, more money efficient. So without further ado, let's get into it. All right, software design principle number one, you probably know it is KISS or keep it simple, stupid. And you know, this turns out to be very useful actually in real world scenarios as well to just keep things as simple as possible because in real life, it turns out that there's so much complexities and so many things that can actually go wrong that oftentimes the simpler your plan, the higher chances that is actually going to work and be communicated across all of the people maybe in your team effectively or in your family or local group of people. Many times when I would be doing code reviews over at Google actually, which tends to reward complexity and over-engineered solutions, you know, I would just tell people to just wipe out entire paragraphs, pages of code and just replace it with a few lines of code that may be simple for everybody to understand, consistent with the rest of the code base. Maybe it's not brilliant, maybe it's so dumb, so simple that it works, but the simplicity is oftentimes so underrated, isn't it? When you're listening to explanations of things too. Don't you hate it when people start using big, grandiose words, a lot of jargon, and they go on and on about crazy topics and ideas, and you just, you can't understand what people are trying to say. In emails, you want to remove as much as you can until there's nothing left to remove. And oftentimes that conciseness, that brevity, is going to be the strongest way to get your points across in messages and communications as well. Now related to this, another one, premature optimization is the root of all evil. You may have heard this one as well. And it's this idea that oftentimes the complexity, the unmaintainability, the rigidity of a piece of code that we're writing often stems from the premature optimizations that we're preparing for that we're making that aren't even really quite necessary yet. Sometimes just the basic simple solution is going to be sufficient and you don't need to optimize that just yet. And you know, one scenario that I've seen this happen for me is in my own stock investment portfolio. I like to these days keep my stock investments very simple. I'll just have a basket of say 10 stocks or so and that's all I'm going to do. And you know, I've seen some portfolios where people will have 100, 200, 500 different stocks in there and it's so complicated that you don't really know what's going on in there anymore. Yeah, sure, it's diversified, but at the same time, when the stock market starts to crash, you're not going to be able to sell all of those stocks. You won't be able to keep track of it. All of the taxes for that is going to be a total headache and burden. And you're going to find that you're not able to easily quickly maneuver to a fast, rapidly changing scenario. Okay, moving on to principle number two is known as the single responsibility principle, which comes from the solid design code principles, which are quite famous. But this is based on the idea that every single function should do just one and only one thing. And so for example, if you have a clock and you wanna go set that clock, set the time, it's not like the clock is going to check your geography and start changing your geography and setting the daylight time savings. And then it's going to maybe go tap into your Facebook and Instagram and check what's going on over there and sync your time to 
all of these other services. All of this is going to just set that time. And this applies to your life as well in order to keep you focused and stay on track with your things. Like when you go do a task, it may help for you to just focus on getting that one task done instead of for you to also start checking your Facebook and Instagram and have all these other random side effects that really don't help your cause much. And at the end, you found that you've done a little bit of everything and you're not really quite sure what happened in the end and you can't really explain what you just did. And so I've mentioned this before. Sometimes I will finish the day and say, I don't even know what I got done today. It feels like I got nothing done. And so when you begin a day and you say you've got one single responsibility for that day, you're going to get one thing done and you focus on getting that one thing done, it can make you very productive. And kind of along with this is the idea not to mix things together, right? Like you don't necessarily want to mix work and play. When you're focused on working, just do that and don't have another window where you're watching some online game streamer at the same time because you're not going to be able to focus. And this really applies to your business and personal relationships as well. I have found it's really not a great idea to mix your business with your personal relationships with your friends, trying to get your family to help you out with your business because it's just going to be a total mess and it's going to really complicate those relationships. And so by applying the single responsibility principle to each of the elements in your life, you may find that you're able to utilize your resources far more effectively and you don't get them mixed up and messing each other up. All right, moving on to principle number three is known as Yagni or you ain't gonna need it. And this is one that comes up very often in code reviews. Oftentimes engineers, they'll have a chunk of code that they never use, they never caught, but they took the time to write it and they feel like it's kind of a waste not to commit that code. So they try to put it in and pretty soon you'll find you have thousands of lines of code that are never caught or used anywhere. And then later on when you try to refactor the code, clean things up or make sure that every single line is tested for code coverage, you find that you have to start maintaining and testing all these other lines of code that nobody even knows if it works anymore. Because it's so ancient maybe the person who wrote the original code already left the company maybe there's undocumented bugs in there and i remember when i was at facebook i deleted 300,000 lines of code there that were just not used, not maintained. And anytime people try to refactor stuff, they just have to refactor all these lines of code really for nothing. It is the mental burden of this. And when you apply this to your real life, it's like the concept of minimalism, right? Like just get rid of stuff that you don't need immediately. And if you need it at some point, you can go out and buy it, rent it, maybe get it used. And then when you're done using it, maybe you can get rid of that again because each item that you acquire has physical burden as well as mental burden, maintenance burden, along with potential repairs, recalls, storage, keeping track of this stuff that is just going to waste a lot of your time in reality. And so for me, minimalism saves me a lot of time, money, space. I don't even feel I need a bigger house or car because I don't have that much stuff in the first place and I find I'm very mobile. And you know, kind of along with this also has to do with the idea that a lot of information out there is irrelevant. I see a lot of people reading news, blogs, keeping up with all of their social media as if all of this information is going to be important or relevant in their lives and you ain't gonna need it. So we've entered this era where information is practically free. There's too much information and the challenge becomes more filtering through all of that information to figure out what's actually relevant and necessary immediately and can be applied right now. News also, it's no longer really just a resource. How much of the news do you read is actually relevant and useful for your life? Most of it is over-sensationalized headlines in order to emotionally clickbait you into clicking on ads or to pay for some subscription. All right, moving on to number four, never trust the documentation. And the reason for this is that self-documenting code is oftentimes the best way to understand what piece of code is going to do. And you understand all of the nuances about it, especially when the documentation, the comments, 
can be inaccurate. Sometimes it's going to say that a piece of code does something when it doesn't, when there are all sorts of bugs and issues with it, or it could be that the comments are simply out of date. And so oftentimes while junior programmers are going to be documenting their code and explaining what it does all over the place, I think the experienced programmers know that you can really only ever trust the code. And what this means in real life is to not listen to what people say, but to look at what they do. Look at their actions and their actions are all you need to know. So sometimes people will tell you that you can trust them. They'll tell you that they're your friend, but in reality, you need to see how did they treat you? What actions are they taking? Are they being generous? Are they being responsible? Even though they're telling you that they're responsible, hey, maybe they're not. And so this is really about clarifying for yourself what data sources in your life you can actually rely upon because people will tell you things. They'll tell you that they're sorry for an action when they're not really sorry. They'll tell you that yes, they accept an offer. Yes, they want to do something. And then in reality, they don't really want to do it or it's a very resigned yes. And you don't want that necessarily, right? Okay, design principle number five is try or don't repeat yourself. And you could say that the opposite of this is wet or write everything twice or waste everyone's time. And so the idea behind this is to remove redundancy in your life, improve maintainability, reusability. And in programming, this is obvious, right? Like if you're copy and pasting your code multiple times, three times or more, I would say, then maybe it's time to consolidate that into a general purpose function. And in my life, I've also applied this concept as well. Like if I find that every day, I'm repeating some menial dull task every single day and it's just wasting my time every single day then I need to think about how can I automate that such that I don't have to repeat this and waste my time every single day. The same old bad habits or tasks cropping up every day is really going to increase the friction in your daily life to be able to actually free up time to work on the things that actually matter. So for example, if you're checking email eight times a day and you're checking through spam email all the time, then maybe it's time to get rid of some spam email, unsubscribe from some of those emails mailing list and limit yourself to checking your email say twice a day. The same goes for social media. Unsubscribe yourself from all of those random notifications that keep coming up every day and just bug you and you're just rechecking these social media platforms all the time. It's wasting a lot of time and so if you find that you're doing the same task over and over again and you don't want to do that task then think about ways that you can reduce that to just one time per day in order to improve your productivity. All right moving on to the next one is known as time space complexity. So this is a core concept in algorithms analysis, but it comes down to the idea that oftentimes you have time and space and they are related. You can oftentimes trade time for space. So maybe an algorithm is going to run faster, but it could be using much more space, or maybe the algorithm runs slower, but it's going to use very little space. And in life, we also have a very similar trade, time and money. Oftentimes you can trade time for money or vice versa. And you know, there's no real best answer for this. It oftentimes depends on the case by case scenario about what you really want to optimize for. Sometimes you want more time, sometimes you want more money and you need to make the right call for each of these. There are some people out there I know who will always optimize for money and they're going to save money at whatever cost possible. And it's going to cost them all of their time, their effort, their free time. And sometimes that trade isn't going to be worth it. A classic example may be waiting hours in line for Black Friday shopping, or it may even be more subtle like people who spend hours looking for coupons, deals, and messing around with points and miles when in reality, the hours that they put in that maybe could be better spent on a side hustle or business instead. And so it's that lure of the sense of false productivity. It's a trap that I've fallen into and something to be careful about. Now, the next one comes from agile development. And the first principle is that their highest priority is to satisfy the customer through early and continuous delivery of valuable software. 
And really the whole ideology behind agile design is to iterate quickly, to fail fast, and to quickly check in with the customer in order to make sure that you're working on something that's valuable and to get that continuous feedback loop. And so in my life, I apply that by always reserving the right to change my mind. So I'm going to set a course, but I'm going to still say, you know what, I can still change my course if anything else shows up. Like maybe the weather suddenly turns bad. I'm not going to be afraid to say, you know what, I'm going to change my mind. We're going to just go do something else instead. I know that sometimes people will say, hey, we're going to go on this trip and they're going to get disappointed when the trip doesn't happen because some unforeseen circumstance comes up and this goal-oriented mindset where they have to achieve their goal and if they fail to achieve that goal, then it means that they've somehow failed at life. I don't think that's as healthy as understanding that the goal is a constantly moving target and you have to recalibrate and recheck your direction constantly. And it's okay to change your direction, to pivot or to iterate upon prior ideas to come up with maybe even a better goal or a faster, more direct way to get what you want. But the idea is to embrace change because having the ability to adapt to an ever-changing world, well, that's a great thing, right? It's the survival of the fittest. Now, the next thing I learned from coding is known as the TCP three-way handshake. And so when a client connects to a computer, usually they have to initiate that connection through a handshake where they issue a syn command or synchronize. They receive an ACK or acknowledgement and then they issue back a syn ACK or synchronize acknowledgement. So it's a three-way handshake anyway. And I've just adopted this for my real-life communications as well. Like when somebody says something to me, I will say, okay, I've acknowledged that. And then I expect them to come back and say, okay, okay, I've acknowledged that, I've acknowledged that. But it's the idea that unless somebody has explicitly acknowledged that they've heard me, I'm not going to assume that they've heard me and I will not hold them responsible for that. And so this is just one great way to over-communicate with people and to clarify any miscommunications or misunderstandings, which are so common in life. And sometimes, you know, I know people have blamed me sometimes when they say, hey, I thought I told you to do something. And I'll just say, well, I haven't acknowledged that. It's not like I was trying to ignore you, but if I haven't acknowledged it, then I cannot be held responsible for that because the connection was just not good between us. And on the other hand, if I did hear somebody, I do like to give some acknowledgement or confirmation response on that just as a polite gesture, a courtesy, which really helps people feel like they've been heard and understood. All right, moving on to the next one is known as the open-close principle. This is also part of the solid design principles. And so this is based on the idea that code should be open for extensibility, but closed for modification. And so this is kind of like the black box principle. You don't necessarily need to understand what's happening inside the piece of code that's closed for modification, but you should be able to hook into it. It should be extensible. You should be able to build upon that like little Lego building blocks, like a plugin. And you know, the way I think about it in my life is I will use a lot of layered clothing, for instance. So I don't like all-in-one clothing, like these huge big jackets that you either put on and you're super warm or you're not. And so for example, this jacket is quite lightweight. I can use it indoors or outdoors. If it's very cold outside, I can layer on top of it a waterproof windshield if I need to, or I can just use it indoors or take it off if I want to. So it's extensible in that sense, providing for extended functionality through loose coupling. And then my last design principle here is known as the separation of concerns, which is the idea that you want to break down issues one by one, handle one at a time, oftentimes separating, say, functionality from the efficiency of a piece of code. And you know, the way I would apply this, for example, in personal relationships is to understand that many times there are many issues at play. For example, in an argument, you need to identify 
what happened, what are the facts that happened, and that's an explanatory phase. You need to be able to then attack the actual issue, but not the person. Remove yourself, your personalities, your pride, ego, emotions from the situation, detach from that. And so you just take a look at what are the facts, what happened, and how you can resolve this for the future and really fix that process, removing all of the human qualities from the arguments or the issues at hand. Now, I'll have you know that in reality and practice, very few of these design principles actually work because humans are irrational and you really have to take their emotions into account. Like for example, empathy really matters in a argument. You have to be kind to them. You have to speak in a pleasing voice. And so none of these design principles are really effective. Like this is just the way I've lived in my life and it's led to the destruction of my marriage. I can't really recommend these design principles for you guys. I never said this was any good, but let me know what are some of the coding design principles that you have lived your life by. I'd love to see that in the comments below. I'll see you there. If you liked the video, please give a like and subscribe. Appreciate that and I'll see you in the next one. Thanks. Bye.